If you or a loved one has had thoughts of self-harm, please call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline by dialing 988 or visiting suicidepreventionlifeline.org. I'm so glad you're here. Come on in. I'm so excited to see you. Come on. Come on. Come in. Hey. Oh, this door is awesome. Yeah, I have never had an apartment with a sliding pocket door. This is pretty swanky. Not yeah. to brag. I'm just saying. You're uh, you're living in high society now. You know, I, I had my doubts about my later in life career choice to go into modeling. But when I saw the ad for, you know, midlife male modeling, I thought, I think I could do this. And it's been paying off. I can see that. You know, I when you first told me about this uh, midlife male modeling, like I was thinking the total like gutter mind kind of thing where like you would be masturbating on camera for like people who live in their basements and stuff. But well, no, it's not. No, it's not like that. It's totally legit. Like my first couple of jobs, like I did the, you know, the, uh, the toenail fungus and that those commercials were pretty good. And then they, they segued into that, like Italian flip flop ad campaign. And that like really took off. And now I am the official face of the anal itch cream. And like, everybody has been stopping me. They're like, aren't you that anal itch guy? And I'm like, yeah. So I'm like, I'm a celebrity now. It's, pretty cool but like i'm reaping the benefits of this this apartment is pretty swanky and it's totally furnished none of this i had to, to like buy or anything is just all set up for me that is so cool and i mean you really decorate the hell out of this place uh have you met any of the neighbors yet like are they cool oh they are they are they're very they're very eclectic but they're fine um now i don't know did you notice the guy at the window when you came in i did i Honestly, I thought that was a mannequin at first. Yeah, he's uh, he's an odd one. I've never really like actually met him, but the the agent, the listing agent that showed me the place, apparently he's just like a blind priest that just sits there all day. So uh, that's fine. So he doesn't bother me. Um, and then on the first level, there's a same sex couple. They're very sweet. Um, two ladies. Um, one's a little older. The other one's younger. The younger one doesn't say much. Um, just if you ever come across them, don't shake her hand because I'm not always really sure where her hands have been. 
Uh, I'll tell you more about that later. But yeah, they're oh, very okay. nice. Um, and then there's another gentleman. Um, I think he plays for my team, if you know what I'm saying. Um, he just pops in and out, kind of like at will. Um, but it's fine. <laughs> He's very sweet. He's always leaving me these photos of himself, um, which is fine. It's kind of quirky. Um, so far, though, they've always been of him clothed, which I'm fine with that. I just don't want that to change, if you know what I'm saying. I don't need to, to see more of him. Yeah, uh, but yeah, he's gotcha. very nice. So he he kind of just walks around holding photos and just like placing them everywhere. Yeah. Oh, and he brings this cat and this bird along all the time. It's it's that's it's fine. Um, so far, there's been no accidents, but I don't want to you know have to cross that bridge ever with the gentleman. But that's been fine. Um, but now, so the place above me is supposed to be empty, but I keep hearing like noises and like like heavy noises. Like it'll cause like all these like really nice chandeliers and stuff to start swaying. It's, it's very weird. It's you odd. Mean, you mean kind of like the, the noise that's going on right now? Yeah, so you can hear that too. I am not insane, thank you. Yeah, and see, look, they're moving right now above our heads. Yeah, it's, wow, that's really weird. It's like we're in the middle of an earthquake, but this is the only place that's like moving. Thank you, yes, thank you. I thought I was just kind of like seeing things. Um, Nope, there's uh, like weird. creepy, weird noises and like a lot of uh, things being moved around. That's, I don't know, man. How the hell do you sleep? I don't know. I, you know what? I've been feeling kind of weird too. I've Lately, I've been fainting a lot. I don't know, which is not good because like, I think the anal itch cream people are getting a little upset with me because I, I faint a lot during the commercial shoots. Are you using the anal cream? Maybe that's making you faint. No, I'm not using the anal cream. I just sell this stuff i don't i'm not a user don't tell anyone that because oh. you know they'll look bad but yeah but yeah this place creeps me out yeah i mean it's nice and all but if i had a deal with this every night i don't think i could mm. yeah i'm i'm at my wits end abandon all hope ye who enter here it's one of the nicer tree line blocks in new york and only 20 minutes from the center of town oh and just around the corner there's a supermarket and the cleaners that's Father Harron in 5A. He's blind. Blind? Well, then what does he look at? There is danger everywhere. There is evil. Evil everywhere. Turn around, Allison. Look behind you. There is horror. There is darkness. I think Allison may die. But watching, waiting, warding off evil, there is hope. The Sentinel. Before Halloran, there was Father David Spinetti. Before him, Mary Thorin becomes Sister Mary Angelica. Father Matthew Halloran dies the same day that Allison Parker disappears and becomes Sister Teresa. I call it! A horror and confusion expedite our glory! Is the Sentinel the only thing that stands between the mortal world and the torment of hell? Between happiness and horror? She went to a party with eight dead murderers. Eli Wallach. Doesn't everybody? Have a hat and noisemaker. Sylvia Miles. Nobody has lived in that building for 
three years. Ava Gardner, Martin Balsam, Jose Ferrer, Arthur Kennedy. There is danger. I swear to God, I'll kill you! Chris Sarandon. I'll kill you! Burgess Meredith. Welcome home. And Christina Raines, the Sentinel. The most frightening motion picture experience of your life. And the most revealing. Turn around. Look behind you. Be one with us. No! There is evil everywhere. And the Sentinel is the only hope. All right. Welcome back to the Midnight Mass Creature cast, where we delve into a horror movie. Uh, specifically one that deals with some sort of monster or creature per se. Um, there will be spoilers ahead. So if you've not seen the feature, you may want to stop and give it a listen and then come back and rejoin us. Uh, this go around, we're going to be dealing with the Sentinel from 1977. It has a runtime of one hour and 32 minutes and it's rated R. I am Mark and I'm joined by the ever awesome. I'm Rob. All right. And this pick was mine. Um, I don't know exactly when I saw this. Um, I would have been 10 when it came out. I My guess is I probably caught it on TV uh, on one of my local TV channels. They were probably like showing it at some point in time because I've known about this. Like it seems like for my whole existence, I, I, I just have always known about this. So I probably saw it and just resaw it and resaw it and resaw it. Um, so I kind of have a history with the thing. Um, what about you, Rob? Um, let's see. So when I was living in that apartment, I was telling you about before the show started. Okay. Um, one of the people who lived downstairs had brought up this movie and they're like, hey, did you ever see this? And uh, because I was, uh, I don't want to go into the whole story because it might bore the hell out of people. Okay. But <laughs> like, basically, um, she was Catholic. And she was telling me about like, you know, holy water under the bed or like holy water around your bed will keep like the evil spirits away from you while you're sleeping because I always had trouble sleeping. Um, and then she brought up, had I seen this movie called The Sentinel? And I was like, no, I've never even heard of it. And then, um, you know, I went to the video store. <laughs> I rented, <laughs> I rented it. But honestly, I don't think I understood like er everything at that time, because when I watched it again last night, it was like seeing a movie for the first time. And I was like, oh, OK, I don't remember any of this. But yeah, that was uh, that was my experience with this. I saw it twice, but really only understood it the second time around. Interesting. OK. And that happens, I think, a lot of times. Sometimes you're not even not you, you, but like viewers, mm -hmm. people you're not really quite ready for what you're presented with, or it's just so much to take in or, you know, everyone comes to movies at different times. Um, so basically the general premise of the Sentinel is a very successful model uh, gets an apartment in a building um, with some very odd inhabitants uh, and her life um, takes a very odd trajectory after moving in. And we'll go from there. Yeah. This thing is very cerebral. Very. Yeah. Very, very, very. Now, um, before we get like really into this, does this feel Italian to you? Oh man. You know, 
I had it in my notes. I, I put Fulci. <laughs> it does kind of feel like, not uh, like extreme, but it feels like if it had been a Fulci movie yeah. waiting to happen. <laughs> it, it does feel that way. And especially at like certain parts that we'll get into, you know, later on mm-hmm. with, the, with the practical effects coming into play. And yeah, I was like, okay. this totally could have been like a Fulci film. All right. Okay, cool. All right. I just wanted to get your feel on that. Because after I watched it, you know, last night, because I have the Blu-ray, the Screen Factory Blu-ray, and I was like, this feels so Italian. Yeah. Um, so our director on this one is Michael Winner. Um, he's also known for The Nightcomers, which is a prequel to Henry James, The Turn of the Screw. Um, it starred Marlon Brando from 1971. I love any adaptation of The Turn of the Screw. Um it's like a ghost story kind of thing. Are you familiar with the turn of the screw at all, Rob? Mm, can't say that I am. No. Okay. So it's really creepy. It's about this governess of these two children and she's replacing another governess who is deceased. Um, and she's being haunted by this caretaker who worked the land, who had an affair with the governess. So it's got this weird, like sexual tension, but the kids are also very creepy. Um, there's been many iterations of this. Done. Oh, um, wasn't that I love the, the skeleton key, like a remake of that or something. Um, or no, uh, what the not per se, that? but like they've been, there's been many, many, many iterations of this, many iterations of it. So you probably have seen it at some point in time, I'm guessing. Do you know what one I'm talking about where the lady comes, like she's a New Orleans, uh, she goes to like this house to to be like the nanny or whatever, or the caretaker, and the kids are like totally screwed up and uh, finds, gets into, finds out of like hoodoo and stuff like that. And um, it turns out that the elderly people have been possessing the bodies of all the younger nannies or something. That is a skeleton. You're describing the skeleton key with. Uh, okay. Okay. What is her name? Goldie Hawn's daughter, I believe. Yeah, but I can't yes, remember. Just, yeah, yeah. That's a good one too. But yeah, the 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 turning of the screw is a little bit different than that. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, but the Nightcomers is really cool. He also did all the Charles. Well, not all. That's a lie. He did the first three Charles Bronson Death Wish movies. Uh, for any of my action fans out there, and then he did one called Scream for Help from 1984, which is about this young girl whose stepfather is trying to off her mom but no one will believe her it's pretty melodramatic but like so much fun in all the right ways i highly recommend that to people out there who like kind of cheesy movies um now the novel this was based on a novel um by jeffrey convitz k-o-n-v-i-t-z um Another thing that I think is interesting about this gentleman is he also wrote uh, the screen pr- screenplay and then produced the horror movie Silent Night, Bloody Night from 1974 for all those people who love the uh, holiday horrors. Now, we were mentioning the uh, effects and the makeup in the film was done by Dick Smith, who worked on The Exorcist and also Scanners. The special effects came from Albert Whitlock, who worked on The Thing, which we've covered, and then Cat People, the remake with Natasha Kinski um, from 82. So this, I feel that this movie exists because of like the popularity of two films. So The Exorcist was like really big, huge moneymaker in 1973. Mm -hmm. And I... 
I wholeheartedly believe that that also paved the way for the Omen in 76, which was also a huge moneymaker. Both of them had like top tier uh, thespians sign on to do these movies, even though like on paper, they probably seem like, I don't know that this would be as huge of a moneymaker as they were. But that also made it, I think, more okay for legit actors to do these kind of questionable horror themed films okay mm-hmm. so this movie the sentinel has a huge cast of pretty top tier actors or would be top tier actors later on so <clears throat> i'm just going to run through them very quickly because there's a huge cast but they've all done really kind of cool things with horror so here we go we've got christina Raines plays allison our main star the model um, she was in a film uh, called Nightmares from 83. It's a horror anthology. Um, her boyfriend is Chris Sarandon, Michael. Uh, he was in Fright Night from 1985. He's also the voice of Jack Skellington, just for fun. He was the former husband of Susan Sarandon, not her brother, as I said later, earlier. <laughs> I'm correcting that. Um, then I was going to make a joke about that. <laughs> yes, yes. Then her girlfriend in this, Jennifer, is played by the actress Deborah Raffin. She was in Larry Cohen's God Told Me To from 76. Great horror film. Check that one out. Um, Monsignor Franchino is Arthur Kennedy, who was in Let Sleeping Corpses Lie from 74 which I'm going to make us do that at some point in time. It's a cool zombie flick. Um, We have Father Halloran, played by John Carradine, who I'm going to say check out the howling for this guy. Um, He's our blind priest. Also, real quick, so Allison, or um, the actress who plays Allison, Christina Raines, was briefly involved with John Carradine's son, um, the actor Keith Carradine. They dated for a little bit. Is that like the the Carradine family, like David Carradine and yes, David okay. and Robert are Keith's um, brothers, and John Carradine is all of the boys' father. Oh wow! Okay, cool. yes, yeah, and very interesting. She actually wanted to be a veterinarian, and she got into all of this because she started modeling to earn money for medical school to be a veterinarian, <laughs> and that kind of segued into acting. I can see that because she is extremely beautiful. She's very pretty, isn't she? Yeah. Okay, so just a real quick, I'm not going to do this for everyone, but if I was going to recast this, not because she's a bad actress, but if I was going to recast this, it would be Kate Jackson from Charlie's Angels. Um, The the Sab- old Charlie's Sabrina. Angels, right? Sabrina. Yeah, the TV show. Okay. Sabrina, if you know who I'm talking about. She was the, not that they <clears> were, <throat> but she was the one that was always came off as real brainy. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's who I would recast. Anyway, okay. And then um, the listing agent who shows her the apartment is Ava Gardner. Um, She plays Miss Logan. She's in a film called Tam Lynn, um, which I would highly recommend horror fans checking out. And that was directed by Roddy McDowell, my longtime boyfriend, even though he doesn't know it. Um, (laughs) Then the detectives, one is played by Eli Wallach, uh, and he was in Plot of Fear from 76. Then we get a very early appearance by Christopher Walken. Who is and I would extremely rec- young at this point. Extremely young. I would recommend Communion from 1989 based on Whitley Stryver's Alien Encounters. Um, then the private investigator, Brenner, uh, he was actually in the Amityville Horror from 1979, which I love that film. Anyone that knows me knows how much I love that movie. Um, then we get into the other tenants. We've got Burgess Meredith, 
uh, who plays Charles Chazen. He would be in Burnt Offerings, which I highly recommend people checking that one out from 76. Is he the one with the um, the parakeet? parakeet? Okay, yeah. Yeah. I thought he looked then, familiar, but I was trying to figure out who it was. Well, he was also, if you watch the old Batman, he was the penguin on the old Batman TV show, if you ever watched that. Yeah, I have watched that. Yeah. And now the uh, two um, ladies that occupy the bottom floor, the same sex couple, the lesbians. Um, one is Sylvia Miles. She's Gertie. Um, she was in the fun house. She's Madame Zena. Oh, really? Really? Yes. <laughs> I, I love Sylvia Miles. And then her partner is Beverly D'Angelo in a very uh, odd uh, non-speaking role. Um, I would recommend Violent Night, which just came out like, I think, two years ago, 2022. That's a great horror okay. action flick. See, I don't know where I saw her, but I seem to, she might have been in um, the Chichen, one of the Chichen Chong movies. Well, are you familiar with the vacation films? Because she's Mrs. Griswold. Oh, okay. That's where I saw her from then. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then the professor that he needs help translating the Latin phrases from, he's actually uh, Detective Arbogast from Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho. That's Martin Balsam. Oh, see, I wouldn't um, remember that. Oh, yeah. I love that actor. Um, and then even like the smaller people, you know, playing parts are big names. So we've got uh, Jose Ferrer as the other kind of like, um, he's a the priest, the cardinal, whatever, that wears the kind of purple robes. Who pops up every now and then? Is he the guy with that big ass ring? No, he's the oh, okay. guy that talks to the gentleman with the <laughs> giant ring. <laughs> okay. um, but he's like been in Bloody Birthday from '81, and also the Being from the same year. Um, and then, if you remember, the two detective supervisor, um, his name is Hart. That's actually Robert uh, Geringer. He was in The Exorcist as well. So, like everyone in this movie. They're like top tier actors and actresses, and they've all have like lots of really cool horror cred. So I want to like just Hell send yeah. people on a mission to check all them out. And also, like we can't forget who uh, doesn't have a big role in this film, but a very very young Jeff Goldblum who plays. Oh the my gosh! Yes, I totally forgot him. <laughs> yes, Jeff Goldblum. He's a photographer. Yeah, so I would check out what The Fly probably or yeah. Invasion of the Body Snatchers. The, yeah, the yeah. First remake. Yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh, I forgot about Jeff Goldblum. Yeah. <laughs> I almost didn't recognize him. Yeah, Jeff Goldblum. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Oh my gosh, yes. All right. Okay. So now we're going to delve into things. And I'm sorry that took longer than normal, but like this is a pretty cool cast, people. It's a it's pretty impressive that he got all these people together for this. Yeah, there's a whole lot of people in this movie. Mhm. So, we open up in Northern Italy, Northern Italy. And basically a small group congregation of Monsignors are meeting together and it, they're very vague on it, but basically they are tasked with making sure um, that no evil is allowed to enter into certain premises, the world, however you want to look at it. Mm -hmm. And then one basically, uh, has like a premonition saying that there is danger. They need to be aware of it, that something's going to be happening. And then we segue into New York city during a photo shoot with Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> <laughs> That's intercut with a couple's montage because our main focus is a model, Allison, 
and she is a very successful um, model. And she's also involved with a very, uh, I guess, kind of shady lawyer um, named Michael, who's played by Chris Sarandon. And so we're seeing their relationship and also her modeling shoots intercut with each other. So we find out that they are both kind of apartment hunting, but they're not on the same page as far as the apartment hunting is going. Um, Michael kind of wants a place for both of them, but uh, Allison kind of wants a place of her own. Yeah, like she, he wants to get married, right? And she says that she needs her space. She needs her space. And we come to find out that Michael has been married before to a woman named Karen. And it's only been two years since that separate or since that relationship has ended. And Karen, no, sorry. Allison feels like it's kind of a little bit too fast that they're rushing into things because he's not had enough space away from Karen. Mm-hmm. So and like she died under mis- like mysterious circumstances or. Like yeah. What? Well, at first we don't even really know. I, I believe at first we're even led to believe that she might still be alive. They're just divorced. Oh maybe, yeah. Then first. like around the. Like around the middle, I think they're the detectives are bringing things up. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's almost like a mystery thrown into the mix of all this, which I think is kind of cool. It is like um, I could see this totally as being like an Alfred Hitchcock type movie. It's very fun I, in that manner, I think. Um, and you know, basically, uh, her friend Jennifer is also a model, and she's kind of helping her look for places. And Jennifer's not too keen on Michael. She's not a big Michael fan. No, there's um, not a there's not a lot of people who actually like Michael. Other than Allison, no, there really aren't. <laughs> yeah. Um, so in the interim, Allison receives notice that her father has passed away. So she's got to go back to I believe it's Connecticut um, to see her um, mother and for the funeral and everything. So while she's there, um, she is so, I guess, um, shooken up that she's unable to attend his funeral. So she's left alone in her childhood mansion because this place is like sprawling. (laughs) Yeah, that thing was huge. Huge. Um, But while she's left alone, she has a sort of like a flashback to... uh, a prior incident she had with her father when she was much younger. Now, did you, <clears throat> excuse me, did you know that was a flashback? Because when I watched it, I'm thinking like, oh, she's looking out the window and then there's like school children getting out of a car. And I was like, oh, she must have like a little sister or something. I and, did because the one girl said Allison. Oh, oh, see, I wasn't paying attention to that. That's and why, when, yeah, it threw yeah. me for a loop. I was like, hold on a second. What's going on here? And then I, I think, that was actually her playing herself too. I think she did Allison in, in all parts of the film too. I don't think they even got someone younger. I think that was her like in long hair and everything, but yeah, so it was a flashback. So she's come home from school probably early because she catches her elderly father who, um, I guess for people who maybe don't quite know, uh, how to place him, he looks, he reminded me sort of of the body type of maybe Angus Scrim. Very tall, very way, thin, yeah. uh, he, like kind of that thin gray hair. Yeah. Um, completely nude in bed with two women eating cake. Uh, the whole bedroom has been like, I guess, 
made up for a party? Was it his birthday? Was it a gift for himself? I don't know. Yeah, um, I but just they put were having party. the best time. Yeah, uh, they were having the best time. Uh, she interrupts, causing her father to become very irate with her and rip her crucifix necklace from her, around her neck and slap her. Uh, I'm and trying to think how I would deal with all this. Um, I, <laughs> I, I think it would be so much to take in. Uh, anyway, so Allison deals with it by running to the bathroom and slitting her wrists. Yeah. Her father and the two women who have joined him for this new celebration find her. And then he, you know, becomes upset. And then I, you know, that's kind of the end of the flashback. And that's, uh, I got to say, like to warn people, that's very extremely graphic when she does that in the, like when she's in the bathroom and, you know, cutting her wrists. It, it is, it is. Um, I, and I gotta be, I'll, I'll warn people too. The whole nude frolicking scene is pretty oh. bizarre too. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's extremely graphic as well. Okay. So it's revealed that she still has the necklace. She just hasn't been wearing it. She's having dinner with his with her mother that evening, and they're kind of having a conversation about, you know, why did you even stay with the man, you know, about her father to her mother and mom's, you know, kind of saying I had nowhere else to go. So I thought that was very telling because Allison is very adamant about not wanting to give up her freedom entirely to move in with Michael. Mm -hmm. Um. So this may be part of that too. She's just not quite comfortable yet. She does. She doesn't want to kind of put herself in the predicament that she, her mother has found herself in. She was tied to this man who was clearly, you know, abusive because he was fine just slapping his daughter. He was clearly unfaithful because oh, yeah. he was having cake yeah. with two naked women in his bed. Um, you know, so it, that gives very quickly a lot of background into Allison. I feel. Yeah, she's trying to break the cycle. She doesn't want to go through the same thing that her mother went through. Yeah, exactly. So, but to prove to Michael that she's still, you know, committed to the relationship, even though she doesn't want to move in with him, she gives him a pair of cufflinks with his uh, initials ML on them and everything. Um, and then she gets a phone call from uh, uh, an agent, a listing agent named Miss Logan, who's Ava Gardner, to go see an old Brooklyn house that's fully furnished. Um, so, um, they show up and everything. And at first, Allison kind of balks at the price of it because, you know, still she's a model, but she can't afford too much. And, you know, Miss Logan says it's going to be $500 and she's like, that's too much. And she's like, 400 is, is totally reasonable for this place. And it's like, wait, what? Yeah, I had to do a double take too because I was like, wait a minute, did she say 400 at first or did she say five? Yeah, no, she just kind of slips that in. Some of this film seems very uh, Rosemary's Baby to me as far as like people like kind of messing around with yeah. Allison. And yeah. when you when you brought up like The Exorcist and the other film, I thought you were going to put Rosemary's Baby in with that too. Uh, that's true too. Yeah, that's true too. I didn't even really think about that. Um, yeah, but you're right. As far as like the big cast and everything. Um, but she's really setting this up for, you're going to be taking this apartment. We're going to make it as like, she only wants a $50 down payment from the woman, you know, like, yeah. 
she's making it so easy for Allison to move in. Um, cause another thing that she needed, like she wanted it to be completely furnished. Well, this just happens to be completely furnished and everything. Right. Um, yeah. I, I, th- throughout the entirety, I was like this, there's something up with this lady. Like she is just way too accommodating. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, totally, totally, totally. Uh, and then it's made note because in the very top floor, there's a person peering out. Um, I know, I, sorry, I just get Fulci vibes all over this film, um, peering out and, you know, um, the listing agent says, oh, it's just uh, he's Father Halloran. He's just kind of blind and senile. He just sits by that window all the time. And so Allison wonders, you know, like, what could he possibly be looking at? And I'm thinking nothing because he's blind. He sits by the window. <laughs> so we get the scene at the photo shoot where everything is kind of chaos around Allison, like the peacocks, you know, not cooperating and the dogs aren't cooperating and the horses aren't cooperating and everything. And then she starts having these fainting spells that persist throughout the entirety of the rest of the film. Yeah. And they, well, they start off small, but they get progressively worse as the film goes on. They do. Now, my thing is, do you think the animals was a fluke thing or do you think they were already starting to react to something that was going on with Allison? Yeah. I immediately thought, cause you know, in those types of movies, whenever you see animals acting weird, you know, there's some like supernatural stuff afoot. Yeah. Okay. I want to get your opinion on that too. Cause like every animal like was not happy around this woman. Yeah. There was just a shoot. lot of bad stuff going on. Yeah. Well, so she's back at her apartment and she gets a surprise visit because she's she's there with Jennifer, but Jennifer's got to uh, hurry off because she's going to be meeting uh, with Michael. At, like, I think it's like five or something. But all of a sudden, this gentleman named Charles Chazen pops in. Uh, that's Burgess Meredith. And he's very flamboyant. You really get the impression this gentleman is, is more than likely homosexual. Um, he's got a parakeet perched on his shoulder, uh, Mortimer, and then he's carrying this black and white cat, Jezebel. And he just kind of, I mean, she invites him in, but I get the impression he was going to come in whether or not she wanted him to. Yeah, <laughs> he didn't really I, ask, was she busy <laughs> or anything? He's just already in the apartment, like just touching everything and talking and what have you. Yeah. Um, and he's explaining about, you know, all the neighbors are very nice. He talks about the two women on the first floor and he you know, tells her about the priest and everything. And then she kind of like makes mention that her phone hasn't been installed yet. And she was wondering if he, he would be okay with her using his, and he doesn't even have a phone. So that just kind of puts that down right there. So no one has a phone she can use. Um, So he kind of, you know, meanders around and everything. And then he notices that she's wearing the crucifix around her neck and he makes his way out. And as at some point, as he's been walking around the apartment, he manages (laughs) to like slip in a, brain photo of himself <laughs> as a welcome <laughs> gift to her, I guess, for moving in. Here's a picture of me. It's so weird. <laughs> <laughs> so the next day, Allison comes back from grocery shopping and just kind of enters into the apartment of the two downstairs ladies that live together. Like, Yeah, was she uh, planning to visit people or did she just get in the wrong apartment? Well, no, I think she kind of like lightly knocked, but then didn't get an answer. So uh, I don't know about you, but like if I knock and I don't get an answer, 
I don't think to try someone's apartment door and then walk in, I would head upstairs to my own apartment with the groceries that need to be put away. Oh, but yeah. She just yeah. comes right in, um, which I thought was very strange. Uh, but anyway, so she's inside there. And then the two ladies proceed to come out. It's Gertie and, uh, or Gerd, I don't know how you pronounce it, G-E-R-D-E. And they're uh, like Gerd. ballerinas or something, right? Yeah, like in full leotards. Yeah. And it's Gerd and Sarah, uh, Sandra, Sandra. And, uh, you know, one is Sylvia Miles and one is, you know, Beverly D'Angelo. And so um, she's kind of making small talk and everything. Um and it's made mention that Sandra doesn't really speak. She's been in, you know, in a, a bad relationship with a man before. And, and, you know, they're kind of together, but they don't really talk about it. Well, then Gertie excuses herself, leaving Sandra alone <laughs> with Allison. Oh, and that eye contact, that was so uncomfortable. So they're sitting, you know, uh, not on the same. Well, I think I think Allison's in a chair and then like Sandra's like on a love seat. Mm hmm. And like Rob said, there's eye contact, like direct eye contact. And Sandra starts pleasuring herself like through her leotards while looking right at Allison. Yep. And this <laughs> this uh, makes Allison extremely uncomfortable, but not before um, what uh, Sandra, like she smells her hands or something. And, like, yeah, puts, she finishes. Like yeah. you can tell she's. She's done. And then she kind of sniffs her fingers, which reminds me of the, uh, oh, what is her name from uh, Sarah Live? The superstar. Uh, oh, the character. <laughs> I forgot her name, but I know who you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm like, she's smelling her fingers. Anyway, so, <laughs> so Gerd comes back in and it's just very uncomfortable. Uh, so Allison kind of makes her a hasty departure. And luckily for her, she's kind of saved by... Uh, uh, Mr. Chazen comes in and, and into the apartment, like in the foyer, and he kind of escorts her back upstairs, leaving her, you know, to 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 escape. And and you know, Gert even makes the conversation. It's very rude, impolite to eat and leave. And you know, Allison's like, I only had a drink. <laughs> uh, just a very uncomfortable all the way around exchange on everyone's part. Just yeah. so weird. Okay, so uh, at the next photo shoot. Ooh, yeah, that uh, I I got a thing about like falling into glass and, and this one really bothered me. And again, me. that's a very Italian thing too. They love people. Anyway, yeah, so she's there again with Jennifer and she's trying, all she has to do is put this wine bottle down and get into frame. And she's having a whole lot of trouble doing that because she can't seem to stay focused and she has an, an even yeah. worse fainting spell. So this time she's taken to the hospital and they notify Michael and everything and they've given her some white pills, you know, to help her with, whatever it is she's got going on. Um, so while she's kind of recuperating, Burgess Meredith, Chazen shows up and he blindfolds her and escorts her up to his apartment <laughs> for a surprise party with oh, like that's... basically all the neighbors, uh, but it's for his cats. It's so Jezebel. weird. It's so, so weird. So very weird um, because Okay, you've got the the two, you know, uh, ladies from downstairs. You've already had an uncomfortable encounter with. Yeah. Um, then you get Mrs. Clark from 4A and you get some twins, Emma and Lillian from 3B. Um, and then you get Malcolm and Rebecca who used to live there, but they don't live there anymore. Um, and they were originally above above Allison, but the apartment leaked. Um, and then they decide to polka. So there's some polka dancing. 
And then they bring out the cake, which is a black and white cake, just like the cat. Yeah. Uh, and it's uh, all so weird. It is. And I was like, something is very off about this. Immediately, I was like, maybe these people don't even live here. Or maybe they're like members of some kind of weird doomsday cult or something. Uh, honestly, it was just like something was really wrong. And I was like, get the hell out of there. And I'm kind of going to go back to what you said about Rosemary's baby, because other than Sandra, everyone else in attendance is pretty much older than Allison. Oh, yeah. Dep- senior citizen. Yeah. Yeah. So much like Rosemary's baby, this apartment is inhabited by a much older group of tenants yeah. than Allison. OK. OK. Um, which I just thought that was interesting, too. OK. So that night, you know, Allison's in bed and everything, and she's having a very restless night's sleep. She keeps hearing all these voices and everything. And then she starts kind of having a nightmare about the party, except now most of the women aren't dressed. And That's then the, Michael yeah. is also there. <laughs> the Caligula dream sequence right there. <laughs> Very much so. <laughs> Which I'm like, that's pretty much just a Friday night at my house, but whatever. <laughs> um, and then she awakens to find like the chandelier above her bed is like, swaying very violently. And then she's hearing noises above her, which doesn't really play out because it's supposed to be an empty apartment. Mm -hmm. And then she runs to the window, which those windows in that place are gigantic, Rob. They're huge. Oh yeah. They're Um, bigger than she is. Yeah. And she's trying to peer out and upwards to see if there's like lights on or anything, but it's, you know, to no avail and everything. So she's notified Michael of this and he's planning on having a, P.I. Brenner basically go and kind of just check out the apartment and see what's kind of going on and everything. Um, and in the interim, I don't, I, I guess it was a different time. I don't know. But so she's requested to have a luncheon with the listing agent. And she's basically complaining about Mr. Uh, Chazen. And then, you know, the lesbians down below and the twins. And like, I don't really feel that her any of her complaints are really substantiated. It's just like she's just complaining about them being them for the most part. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah. And then she makes a request to uh, visit the rooms when uh, the agent tells her that aside from the priest, she's the only other person that lives in that building. Right. You are the only occupant besides the priest. Yeah. And then like also to, you know, to be fair, she does kind of mention like the banging on the metal and then like the, the swinging of the lights, mm-hmm. which those are valid points. But the rest I'm like, no, you you have no reason to be bringing these up anyway. Um, so, you know, being the nice, sweet person that she is, uh, Miss Logan escorts her back to the place and she gives her basically a tour of all of the apartments that she's previously claimed to visit and they are all like disheveled, mm-hmm. filthy. No one's been living in these things. Um, and she makes note that the landlord is planning to, you know, be renovating all of them, but it's a rather slow process. Yeah. And then she's like, I was here, th- this, uh, there was books and there was, um, like, uh, I went to a cat party. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> A party for a cat that was black and white cake. (laughs) Yeah, I Um, mean, some of those things are making her seem rather kind of crazy. Yeah, seriously. You know, if you were on the receiving end of this information, you're like, lady, you're you're insane. Right. Um, You would feel like this person is unhinged. Why did I rent out to them? And how do I get them out of there? (laughs) Right, right. Well, 
they eventually make their way to the top floor, which, you know, Miss Logan has said is being occupied by Father Halloran. Um, and then she makes note that the building is actually owned by the Diocesan Council of, the, of New York City. Mm-hmm. So they're the ones who are paying for the priest to live there and everything. So because he can't work or anything. And um, and then Allison's like, well, I demand to go in there. And that's where Miss Logan like puts her foot down. She's like, no, you know, this is someone's residence. I can't just let you in here. This is this this kind of foolishness stops now. I've, I've humored you up to this point, but no longer will I be doing that. Mm-hmm. So Allison's kind of like left with all this information, which, you know, what would you think, Rob? You know what I mean? I would, oh man, like knowing me with all of the crazy events and then finding out that I'm the only one who lives in that apartment aside from this uh, blind old priest, uh, I would get the hell out of there. Or I would really like, okay, so if you're having these fainting spells, I would really return to a doctor Mm -hmm. for fear that I was having, like I had a brain tumor or something. Most likely. Yeah. Like I, I would start questioning my, my sanity. Yeah. Uh, That, yeah. You, because on top, like you've got, you might have some neurological disorder and then you'd be thinking like, oh, did I really experience like all of that stuff that I thought I experienced or, you know, what yeah, was going on? I would be on? horrified, horrified. Um, so at this point, um, the PI, James Brenner, has left his office to actually head over to the uh, a- apartment of Allison, to the building to start investigating. So later that night, um, Allison was waiting on Michael, but he's bailed on her. Um, which he does quite a bit. He leaves her alone a lot um, yeah. when he's supposed to be there. So she's got some wine and she's falling asleep on the couch and everything. Um, by this point in time, Brenner has arrived and he sees the priest upstairs and everything. It's now 3.30 a.m. in the morning and Allison's been awakened again by that whole rattling noise and all the chandeliers shaking throughout the whole entire apartment. So she grabs a flashlight and a knife, and she is going to go investigate the whole apartment building thing. Yeah, that's the the white negligee investigation unit right, right there. <laughs> right, right, yeah. So now we, there's like almost like a chanting going on. Um, and then she sees Jezebel, for all intents and purposes. You eating know, eating the... Um, Mortimer, the parakeet. <laughs> I call it a canary, but okay, yeah, parakeet. Because I, yeah. I, I don't know um, the, the difference between birds, apparently, so... Well, I'm only calling a parakeet because that's what they call it in the film. But to me, it looked more like a canary too. But that's what they said, parakeet. So I'm just going with what they said. But yeah, it's yellow. It's a little yellow bird. Yeah. Um, And it's like a cat that don't exist eating a bird that also doesn't exist. Yeah. So she proceeds up to 3A and it's still abandoned. And then there's like a door ajar. And so she heads in there and it's like like a bedroom area, basically. And you, you see behind her, there's this like tall, skinny, kind of like shadowy. Oh, figure. and that brought me back to um, I'm terrified with that tall, skinny, naked man. <laughs> totally. Yeah, totally. Totally. <laughs> I was that's like, that's no. I always, that's what I say. Like horror doesn't exist in a bubble. Like everything influences something. I yeah. Think I love that. Too. Okay. Well, anyway, she's got a flashlight that goes out. Okay. When it comes back on, eventually it comes on just in time to reveal that it's actually her dead father decaying. Holy cow. That, that was a rough scene. 
Yeah. And then on that bed is actually the two women that were with her father and they're waiting him in the bed and everything. And she freaks out and tries to leave, but he's blocking her escape. Mm, And she does some, uh, gets a little stabity. Yeah. It gets pretty gruesome. Doesn't she like his nose is basically, she carves his nose off and gets him in the ear. Doesn't she? Uh, On this, I think, yeah, the ear on the side of the neck, I believe. And then also she just shaves the nose right off his face. Yeah. It's pretty Um, gruesome. Um, there's, they're not a lot, but there's some good gory effects in here, yeah, I think. Like when it happens, it really is shocking. It is because you're not ready for it, I feel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this, this movie's got a lot of like shocking moments. Yeah. Um. So she like flees running out to the street screaming. All the other neighbors from other buildings come out to, you know, to help her out and everything. So next scene, Michael's at the hospital waiting to talk with Allison when two detectives show up one is uh, officer gantz and the other one is uh, or detective gantz and the other one is detective rizzo um so we've got uh eli wallach and christopher walken yeah D- christopher so, walken really he's got like maybe one or two lines in this right very small parts very yeah. small parts um if i'm not mistaken i'm pretty sure Def- jeff goldblum within death wish I don't know if Christopher Walken was, but, you know, uh, Jeff Goldblum's worked with the director, you know, before, too, or, you know, since uh, they both have, uh, uh, I mean, uh, they have a history with with Mr. Uh, Winner. I'd have to watch Death Wish all over again. But, oh, interestingly enough, you know how uh, Fulci, um, he does the dubs? Oh, yes. Uh Well, in this one, Jeff Goldblum was dubbed in every scene except for one. Well, that's weird. I wonder I wonder if the audio wasn't working except for the one. Because otherwise, why wouldn't you just dub him for everything? Yeah, I don't know. It didn't explain that. It just said he was dubbed in every scene except for one. Interesting, interesting. So this is kind of where we get more of Michael's backstory with his first wife, Karen. Because the detectives are there because there was a previous incident where they've had a connection with Michael. Yeah. Apparently Karen committed suicide and I'm air quotes uh, by jumping off the 59th street bridge. Mm -hmm. And apparently Allison was involved with Michael while he was still married. And after the suicide, Allison tried after Karen's suicide air quotes, Allison tried to take her life for a second time by overdosing. So Allison's actually tried to commit suicide twice now in her life. So they allow Michael to come into Allison's hospital room, um, but she's very unresponsive and she won't be able to leave for a couple more days and everything. But they're only giving Michael five minutes, but they won't allow him to see her alone. Gats wants to come in, you know, just to make sure that he's, Michael's not left alone with Allison because Gas is really not trusting Michael at all. He yeah. feels that there's something afoul here. And with a mustache like that, I mean, I wouldn't either. He looks very different with a mustache, I think. He looks very sleazy, like a car salesman. Did you ever see Star 80? No. The movie about Dorothy Stratton? Okay, no. so D- Dorothy Stratton, in that movie, it was uh, Mariel Hemingway played her. But Dorothy Stratton was a Playboy model. This is true. It was a Playboy model who was murdered by her boyfriend, uh, a strange boyfriend. And Eric Roberts played her boyfriend with a mustache. 
And he looks a lot like Chris Sarandon with a mustache. So they could be very interchangeable in that. But Star 80 is a very good movie. It's not an uplifting movie, but it's a very good movie. Um, What's his face? Uh, Fosse. Bob Fosse directed it. Very good movie. I highly recommend it. Yeah, there's just something sleazy about that. The shape of that mustache, man. Yeah, Uh, it's very porn stashy. Yeah. Um, But it's good for the character because it... uh, to me, it makes him seem very sleazy. Right. Which and he is. I, yeah, he's supposed to be sleazy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so basically, Gats is kind of threatening Michael all over again with a, a closed case. And his supervisor, um, Hart, the one from The Exorcist, um, uh, the actor uh, is saying you you, you got to lay off him. You know that you know you have no proof of what you're accusing this guy of doing. Just like beforehand, you know you were all sure he did it, but it was a suicide. And yeah, all of the blood on Allison was her own blood type. Right, but it wasn't her blood. Yes. So I'm like, yes, that's my big thing with this one. I'm like, but she wasn't cut anyway. Right. Whatever. They should investigate um, that. They're like, okay, she's got somebody's blood on her, but it's not her own because she has no cuts on her body. And then the one lady from the party, the name that she remembered was Anna Clark. Oh yes, yes. And they look her up, and she was a convicted murderess, <laughs> and she got the electric chair in 1949. Right. So, this woman so she's, that she's been dead. About a long time. <laughs> yes. And I believe she killed her husband and his mistress for having mm-hmm. an affair, I believe. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So. Um, and then they find a dead body the same night that Allison does her little stabby thing. Yes. Yes. Um, and then now, did you notice that the wounds? Ooh, yeah. I, the, it had the nose cut off. And yeah, the wounds are identical to basically yeah. what she did to her father. And who was that? Building. Was that like a no-name person or was that somebody tied in with everybody in the film? It's later revealed it was Brenner. Who's Brenner? The PI that was there that night. Oh, so maybe she was like freaking out thinking she saw her dead father. Because I was trying to figure that part out. I was like, wait a minute. How did this body end up here? And Yeah, but before we figure that out, so uh, the detectives want the blood type of this gentleman to see if this has anything at all to do with what happened the night, because they're thinking that he also died around 4 a.m., which is right around uh, when all of this would have transpired with Allison back at the apart- her, her apartment building. Yeah. So Michael is wanting to have her evaluated by a psychiatrist, and he worried that she's been popping these pills too much and that's causing her to become depressed. Yeah, I don't, she doesn't seem depressed. She seems a little like on the, on the crazy side, like seeing things and everything. Right. Yeah. I don't get depression from her. Um, but then Rob, like with what's going on, I'm like, are you setting her up? Like, I, I really feel like they're like dropping these things to make you start questioning Michael. Yeah. I, I do feel that way too. And I think, um, when I looked into it, that this movie was cut and recut and cut again, uh, due to certain things that maybe there was like some part in there where, Maybe they were trying to imply that Michael was uh, somehow trying to get her to kill herself. Well, and then with everything that's going on, how much of this is something greater at play? Oh, yeah. Yep. 
you know, I mean, like going back to the animals, like how, uh, like are people being puppeteered by something beyond their control? Yeah. Like the, maybe the, um, the devil or whatever they're like, they're guarding the gates of hell there or something. And they don't want, uh, they don't want the next sentinel to like come about. Right. Exactly. 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 Yes, 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 exactly. So Michael excuses himself to make a phone call and he's calling the PI's Brenner's office. Well, the secretary is prevented from answering by Detective Rizzo. He picks up the phone. Of course, Michael asks to talk to Brenner. Then when Detective Rizzo asks who it is, Michael doesn't respond and just hangs up. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I was wondering what was happening with that part. Yeah. So they figured out now while they're there that they picked up files. They got their blood type back. It matches. They're assuming the body has been dead now about the same amount of time that whoever was killed at the place would have been dead. They've also found um, Michael's info on file with the private investigator. And the private investigator isn't so much an investigator. He's someone that you hire to do so all sort of like dirty deeds done dirt cheap. Oh, okay. Yeah, I totally missed that part then. And they're thinking that maybe Karen didn't or wouldn't divorce Michael. And so she wouldn't divorce him. He's still going to separate himself from her one way or another. And maybe mm. Brenner killed Mike for her. Yeah. And maybe, maybe Brenner. And Michael are in cahoots and they're trying to scare Allison to death. Right. That wasn't thought that I also had. I was like, if it's not the, if it's not the building, then, you know, this is like a murder mystery kind of thing where it's like, let's make this person think that she's crazy. Exactly. Exactly. So the two detectives show up at Michael's apartment. Allison's there. They ask to speak with him alone. She excuses himself. The PI pull out photos of Brenner's body. And they ask, do you know this man? And Michael's like, I've never seen him in my life, which is a lie. (laughs) So Allison is taking this opportunity to get some fresh air. And then she decides to stop inside of a church. So while she's kneeling down, praying our mystery, mystery figure from earlier, which is Monsignor Francesco, Francisco. No, it's not Francisco. Francisco. What is it? Uh, let me look it up real quick. Oh, Monsignor Francino. Francino um, <clears throat> kind of comes up behind her and they engage in a conversation. She reveals that, you know, it's been eight years since her confession and she feels that she's rejected Christ and she wants to come back. Mm-hmm. Um, she's committed adultery. She's already tried to kill, kill herself two times. Uh, she's stabbed her dead father. Um, and she's afraid she might try suicide again. And the priest says, you know, that she can always come back. Um, and then, you know, by coming back to the church, uh, maybe her guilt will go away and that God has a purpose for everyone. Yeah. So he's kind of setting things into play. Like, you know, just come back to the church, you know, here we go, which he also has ulterior motives. Oh, he does. Yeah, totally. Um, totally. But I knew like, I was like, this guy is conveniently popping up in different locations. Um, because even before we see him at the church, he was there visiting the, um, the, the current Sentinel. He was in that apartment. He was like, it's almost time for, uh, it's almost time for you to go. And the next one to be chosen. Every 
not everybody. A lot of people have otherworldly uh, powers in this thing. There's a lot of supernatural stuff at play. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so he's not just a priest. It almost seems like he knows things. Like yeah. Privy, privy to like, a, yeah. <laughs> um, so she eventually shows back up at Michael's place, but it's like three hours later, he's freaked out and everything. Um, sorry. <clears throat> he's freaking out and everything. And he decides that he's going to investigate the building on his own. And he's actually got this whole big ring of keys that will allow him to any place he wants to. Yeah. So they head back, the two of them. And now is you know, this the, Oh no, sorry. Okay. This is the, we're not at that part yet. So continue. I'm sorry. Okay. So she's recounting her night and everything, of you know, the party and everything. And she does make note that the carpeting is different because, you know, Michael's like, there should be blood on the carpet, but there's not. And that's when she's like, well, wait a minute. Like, I, I think she said that at first it was gold and then it became green carpet or vice versa. Yeah, you know, like so the it, carpet's it, been kind of played around with. Yep. And then she starts looking at these books. And oh, yeah. Every book is the same to her. Yeah. And so what she's technically saying is it's all Latin. Mm-hmm. And Michael's like, no, it's not. And we see what Michael's seeing and it's written in English, but he's like, what are you seeing? And so he writes down what she's seeing and she is literally seeing things in Latin. Yeah. And uh, she's uh, reading a passage. Well, we come to find out that she's reading a passage from uh, Milton's paradise lost. Exactly. Um, so he writes everything down, jots it down. They head upstairs. They knock on um, Halloran's door, but there's no answer. And Michael's actually going to use the key, but the lock's been changed, so he can't even get in there. So he decides that he's going to speak with um, the diocesan council, and he's also going to have her uh, phrasing translated from Latin to English to see what that's all about. Mm-hmm. So, uh, as always, Halloran's watching the couple as they pull away and everything. So Michael makes his way to meet with our professor of Latin, who is um, um, I got to find his name real quick. Martin Balsam <laughs> from Psycho. Martin Balsam from Psycho. And uh, he, it's just a real quick scene, but he translated. He's like, well, I thought it would be much harder than this, but it's very easy. Um, it's basically uh, to thee, thy course by lot is given charge and strict watch that to this happy place, no evil thing approach or enter in. And just like Rob said, it came from Milton's Paradise Lost. This was also what they were like all the Monsignors were chanting at the very beginning of the film. Yeah, that's what I thought. I said, that sounds really familiar. Mm-hmm. So Michael then makes his way to the diocesan to kind of like get some info on Halloran. And our Monsignor uh, friend Chino is very forthcoming with the information. You know, he tells them that he was a, a blind priest and everything, and they are uh, um, take charge over him because he can't really, you know, keep for him, care for himself and everything. Um, but then Michael requests the files, and that's when the Monsignor's like, oh, no, we can't let this go. This is this is property of the church. Yeah, and he puts them back immediately. He's like, you're not yeah. getting this. Oh, and I love the guys. I love the guys that he has uh, been awarded some sort of money after someone's death because Michael's a lawyer. So he's mm-hmm. like, I've got to like talk to him in person to make sure it's really him so I can give him this 
this money that he's been um, awarded you know, by the person's <laughs> passing. Tricky, tricky. That uh, mm-hmm. That's the sleaziness coming out. Exactly, exactly. Um, so while Michael's doing all this, Allison's returned to the same church. But this time she's greeted by a completely different priest. Yeah, and that, that confused the hell out of me. I was like, hold on a minute. All right, something's not right here. <laughs> and then she goes to describe the other priest to this guy. And, you know, she mentions the big ring that Rob has already brought up and everything. And he's like, no, this is, you know, this is my uh, my church. I, there's no other pastor here by this name. Maybe it was someone visiting or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's not going to play out well. Okay. Jennifer is now with Allison at Michael's apartment. And she's saying that painting spells are getting a lot worse and everything. And she's been having really bad dreams about the blind priest. Yeah, and Um, Allison's not looking too good at this point. Yeah, so Michael excuses himself again and says he's got to go. So he asks Jennifer if she can stay with him and everything. And um, we see that he's picked up at some point a copy of Paradise Lost because Jennifer kind of touches it with her hand. She grazes it with her hand. Mm Mm-hmm. So he's sneaking off to meet with Harry. Yeah. Well, and Harry, oh man. Okay. I just got to bring this up. When okay. Harry, when Harry spoke, didn't oh, he, voice. didn't he sound like the demon from the exorcist? Yeah. The, 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 yes. The one that she pushes out the window that possesses her. Um, yeah. Like when he's like, what an excellent day for an exorcism. <laughs> it's like yeah. when I heard that voice, I was like, holy shit, that could be the, that could be the voice of Pazuzu on the exorcist. Man. That really raspy, raspy voice. Yeah. Um, or was it, hang on one second. I want to do something really quickly here. Like it was that guy that he hires to like uh, break locks or no, something. No, it wasn't pair. It wasn't Harry. It was Perry. Oh, Perry. Okay. Yeah. So the reason I say that is I want to look him up real quick because he's a he does lots of stuff. He's got a really, really raspy voice. Yeah. Um, and he's got he that in, New York accent. Yeah. He was in Tales from the Dark Side, the movie. Uh, he was in, he's uh, Andre Toulon from the Puppet Master movie. Ooh. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, he's got a real distinct voice. Anyway, so this guy here is basically um, a locksmith, a, a petty criminal locksmith that he could break into anything. Mm-hmm. So he gives him this wad of cash in an envelope and they sneak off to the diocesan um, because Michael wants into that file cabinet to get the files on Halloran. So this is where everything really starts to uh, come into play and make a little bit more sense. Yeah, if, um, it, if it can be made more sense of, yeah. Okay, so the, I, the second... Uh, file thing that safe that they break into that thing is so cool yeah it's It's a a cross and then there's a a gold cross (laughs) yeah it's great yeah you have to take the the, like the horizontal arm of the cross off which is this giant gold bar Mm -hmm. it's just great well anyway so they discover that william o'rourke disappeared july 12 1952 after an attempted suicide he is the same man. Then Dr. Andrew Carter would eventually, oh, he's the same man as Dr. Howland. Sorry. Then Andrew Carter would eventually become Dr. David Spinetti. Yeah. And then, um, so it's just basically whoever dies becomes either a priest or a sister. Because before that, before Dr. Halloran, there was uh, Mary Thorin who became sister Mary Angelica. Yeah. Like, did they so, really die or like, that that's the part I was confused. Like, 
did did they just kind of become the sentinel or did like they actually have to die? I think die is in quotes. Oh, okay. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like it's not a literal death, but it, like for all intents and purposes, it looked like they did maybe. Mm. I'm thinking. So it wasn't a physical death, but like maybe on paper they died. Yeah. Maybe to like make it be legal or something like that. So they're... yeah, like they, they disappeared from everyone and then they yep. all of a sudden were. Yeah. Um, uh, and then they basically all just had ordinary lives. Uh, and then all of a sudden they became priests or nuns, but they had all attempted suicide at some point or other in their lives. Yeah. Then he finds a file on Allison Parker, his girlfriend, slash sister Teresa. Yeah, and it, it's only got the picture of Allison. It does not yet have the picture of uh, sister Teresa. But it has all of Allison's information, like everything about her. And, and what's going to happen uh, in a day's time. Exactly. When Halloran dies, um, Allison will disappear and Sister Teresa will come into existence. And yep. that's going to happen tomorrow. <laughs> like tomorrow at midnight. Tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> so back at Michael's apartment, you know, Allison's fallen asleep and Jennifer awakens to find Michael in the apartment. He's like kind of coming like it didn't wake her up. So. Michael reveals that Allison's going to die tomorrow and he begs Jennifer not to leave her alone after midnight. But Jennifer's like, well, I have a party. And Michael's like, that's fine. He's like, I'll get her there. And then you just have to stay with her because he's going to go off again. <laughs> <laughs> like, why doesn't he just stay with her? <laughs> I also, as crazy as it sounds, I think I would have explained more to Jennifer to, to get her on board with this. Yeah. But do you think she would have believed him? She doesn't really like him. I know, but I, I, I I think I would have done something more to try to get her on board with me. Yeah. I, I don't know. Just I, I, the vagueness I think isn't helping him like win any favors with Jennifer. Like so he anyway, made up that whole story about like to the diocese about the, the guy's estate. So why doesn't he just, you know, spin a few lies to Jennifer to get her, you know, on this on board. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So back in the uh, diocesan of New York chapel, Everyone's praying and everything, and um, the Monsignor is getting ready to leave. And this is when the uh, the other Monsignor, played by uh, Jose Ferrer, uh, says, "You know, um, God be with you this night and everything." So we know that the stuff's going to go down. Yeah. So at Michael's apartment, Allison's protesting that she doesn't really feel like going, and you know she just wants to stay there with Michael. And Michael's like, "No, we got to go to this party. It's Jennifer's party. We got to go and everything." At the police station, Doc, uh, uh, Detective Gantz has basically pulled mugshots of everyone in attendance at Chazen's party. And they're all killers and they're all already dead. Mm -hmm. So she kind of wasn't lying. All these people are real people, but there's no way they could have been in attendance for the cat's party. <laughs> right. And plus, nobody else lives in that building. Right. So Jennifer's party is in full swing. Allison and Michael arrive. Allison looks atrocious. Oh, like, yeah. She looks so bad. Like she has not slept in maybe a week or more. No, she looks so bad. She looks so bad. Um, so Michael excuses himself, leaves her alone on the couch. Um, he heads off to the, uh, apartment with, you know, father Halloran always at watch at the window, even though he can't say anything. Um, so 
Mike's at the party. Allison pleads with him not to go, but he says no, and he leaves her alone too. He gets to the apartment. We see that he's got a handgun and a flashlight. Um, and again, we have Father Halloran peering down from the window. Mm-hmm. And he comes, I love how Michael comes in and there's that jump scare when he sees the reflection at the window. Oh yeah, that was great. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It kind of, okay. I know that the, this is out of sequence, but like I'm thinking Jerry Dandridge looking in a mirror. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> from Friday night. Years later, it will come into play again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he hen- he enters into the bottom apartment of the, the uh, same sex couple. Um, no one in there and everything. And then while he's doing this there, Allison's having a very severe, severe reaction at the party and she screams and faints. Yeah. So we're getting scenes intercut. So at the party, they get her to bed, you know, lay down on Jennifer's bed and everything. And they're trying to revive her with water back at the apartment. Um, Michael's going through all the empty rooms and everything. Um, and there is a wooden plank that yeah. covered something. And much earlier in the film, you know, uh, Allison was drawn to it and she touched it, but that was all that was happened with that. But this time, Michael's got like a crowbar and he's peeling off the wood to reveal what's underneath it. Yeah. Where was that at? I, I couldn't, I couldn't think of the layout of that place and it just looked like it was somebody's closet. Maybe I, I'm not sure what it was. I'm not a hundred percent sure. I, me, myself, I thought it was somewhere in the foyer, but I don't know either. I don't know either. So I'm not even going to say, I know, I'm not going to say, I know. Um, We do know, however, it's almost midnight because we see on the clock, Mm-hmm. by Jennifer's bed. Okay. So while this is going on, Allison has escaped through the back stairwell off the bedroom. So she's now gone from the party. So Michael's uncovering a sign that says through me, you go into the city of grief through me. You go into the pain that is eternal. While he's reading this off to the side, there's the blind priest making his way down the steps. Mm-hmm. Okay. So unnoticed by Michael. Okay. Still through me, you go among people lost, abandon hope. All ye who enter here. Yeah. And th- that's one of my favorite lines. That last part, abandon hope, all ye who enter. Um, and then we get the priest saying the gates of hell. Yeah, exactly. And I, I got faulty vibes right from that point right there. This thing is begging. I, I wish not that this is a bad movie at all. I love this film. But I so wish that Lucio Fulci could get his hands on this, like in a perfect world, and remake it Fulci style. What if this man was man. Gates of Hell, like the final, uh, the final Gates of Hell, like Gates of Hell the fourth? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Gates of Hell to Electric Boogaloo. Yeah, Electric yeah. Boogaloo. So outside the apartment, Allison's approaching. Now the priest is waking his way back upstairs and he's chanting in Latin and like Michael is getting more and more irate with him. Oh yeah. He's threatening to strangle him as they walk, as they descend, ascend up the stairs. So back in the priest's apartment, he's seated back in his little chair and Michael just starts to attack the guy. Yeah. It's like, if you want information, why are you choking the life of out of him? Exactly. So we see a, a hand and we know that it's Monsignor. Francino, Francino. I keep mutilating this guy's <laughs> name. I'm so sorry. The Monsignor. Because you see his ring, right? Right. Yeah. And he picks up, there's these three statues and he picks up this statue and goes over to like bludgeon Michael on the head to make him stop. We're mm-hmm. assuming. Um, as he does this, the camera kind of pans 
doesn't stay on him, but it pans backwards. And there's a painting of a nun receiving a crown of thorns by like little seraphims, cherubims, cher- cher- probably cherubs because they have all their limbs. I think seraphims and cherubims don't have their limbs. Oh, yeah, that that's a creepy ass painting. Oh, see, I love stuff like that. I love, I love stuff like that because it is so weird and creepy. I well, love stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, I like it, but it was like, it just seems out of place, like to be in a religious person's, um, like in, in their, in their dwelling, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So back inside, uh, Allison is now back inside and she's screaming for Michael and then blood starts to drip on her from above. And then she looks down and spies this giant pool of blood. And inside the blood is one of his cufflinks with ML on it. So she is scared to death that something's happened to him. So she freaks out and goes and barricades herself inside of her apartment. Yeah. And, uh, okay. I had trouble with the cufflink blood thing. Cause like, was, uh, was that part of the supernatural activity or like where did the blood and the cufflink suddenly drop down from? Or did he just drop it while he was in her apartment? And then like when he went to choke the priest and got bludgeoned, that blood is just dripping down from like the higher above apartments or something. Well, the blood and stuff wasn't her apartment. It was outside of her apartment. It was from in the stairwell. Oh, okay. Never mind. I thought she was in her so, apartment at that time. No, that caused her to run into the apartment. So I'm thinking, I'm thinking because she's clearly being um, manipulated. Mm-hmm. And I think that she wouldn't have known it was his blood or she wouldn't have freaked out had it not been his blood. So it was probably placed there. Okay. By uh, the uh, the guy with the parakeet and, and the cat. Probably. Because he seems to be the ringleader. Yes. So I'm thinking supernatural. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking. Okay. So she's basically dropped to her bedside and she's praying to her guardian angel. And we hear her bedroom door rattling. uh, And there's footsteps approaching everything. So she hides in this giant armoire and she uh, clasped her necklace, you know, for support. Yeah. The doors swing open and it reveals that it's Michael. And he looks for all intents and purposes pretty okay. And he starts comforting her. But he seems different though. He seems not physically. No, but like the way, the way he's talking, the way his actions are. Yeah. He's at, yes. His demeanor seems changed, Mm -hmm. but physically for right now, he seems okay. Yep. We get that really quick shot of Jezebel descending the stairs. (laughs) That cat. So he starts to reveal that the Latin was ancient warning uh, between um, the angel Michael and the um, Uriel and that Uriel was uh, in charge of uh, the entrance to Eden and that sentinels are sent to guard the world against evil. Mm -hmm. Um, And he says it was Halloran, but tonight it will be you. And she's looking very shaken and very confused. Oh, and then then he tells the story about how, um, if they, if the other forces can get her to end her life before midnight, then uh, they will have succeeded in like opening the gates or something like that. Yeah. He's like the tenants here were reincarnations of devils and they were trying to stop the sentinel by making her commit suicide. Mm -hmm. 
And then all of a sudden Jezebel comes into the room and she freaks out and she wants Michael to kill it. And then, um, and then, so it's revealed then also Michael is not in good shape. Uh, his face on the side has been like removed. <laughs> yeah. And it <laughs> and does, been, yeah. Like little, like it cracks or something. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yes. Yeah, so, okay. Now, how did you watch yours, Rob? Um, archive.org. It was the Blu-ray release. So. Okay. So on mine, I don't know how crisp your picture was, but when like the cracks started coming, you could see the, the, the line pulling it away on his face, the, the fishing line. Oh no, I did not see that. Yeah. You could totally see it. Cause sometimes like, I love having Blu-ray and 4k and stuff, but sometimes it kind of ruins the effect of things. And you could totally see the little lines pulling away his face. <laughs> yeah. No, I was I, watching. I, and I'm like, what are those strings? And then his face start cracking. I'm like, Oh, that's what those strings yeah, are. Yeah. I did not catch that. So I, yeah. I did see the cracking happening though. Right. Right. Um, and then he spills the beans that he's damned for eternal life for sins. And he uh, tells Allison that Brenner, the PI actually murdered his wife. Mm -hmm. And Michael is now one of the Legion. And that's, you know, during this whole bloody face reveal thing. So Allison takes the opportunity to flee and run downstairs only to be greeted by Chazen. And she flees up the stairs a little bit. And then she comes face to face with a person who actually has true um, physical abnormalities. That's what um, I was going to ask you. Were these uh, deformed people like, was that makeup effects or was that like a real, real thing? So the filmmaker opted for putting people with physical abnormalities in the film and then mixing in some people with makeup prosthetics in the film. Um, okay. Uh, People really took umbrage with this even now because it's like, are you saying that just because I have like something physically um, not like other people that that means I'm like, you know, damned to hell? Yeah, or, a creature you know, from hell. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, what I think, and I'm not excusing this, I think it was a quick way to um, get around using practical effects mm -hmm. a cheap quick way and just exploring these people that's yeah, what that's, i think yeah i think that they didn't want to spend as much time doing makeup and stuff like that and they're like oh we've got actual people who look like this let's make a you know let's finish off the horror movie yeah let's just yeah let's just exploit them and then yeah i don't even think they thought about that whole i don't think any thought really honestly was given to it i'm not saying that was an excuse i really just don't even think they thought about it like mm -hmm. to does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So to answer your question, yes, these were actually the way these people, these actors looked in real life. Okay. Yeah. yeah I didn't. Cause like the, the guy with the hanging lip, I was like, is that a prosthetic? Is that thing real? Yeah. So they're in, they're intermixed with people that have prosthetics and people that do not. Mm -hmm. um, so basically what's happening um, is the people more and more are showing up, forcing her to ascend higher and higher into the apartment building. Yeah. She actually runs into the same sex couple eating Michael. <laughs> she oh. starts to lose it even more and actually looks like she's going to like dry heave and possibly vomit. Um, and then Chazen is like, you know, telling everyone to rise and enter now into full bliss. Mm -hmm. um, 
her dead dad attacks Allison, uh, sending her further upstairs. <laughs> yeah, he's um, like hanging off the railing there. Yeah, right. And then she runs into the two lovers of her dad, the two nude lovers and everything. Mm-hmm. And um, then she enters her her new apartment, you know, basically. Um, and then Chazen says that she's the cho- uh, chosen of the Lord, our God, uh, our tyrant, our enemy, uh, to guard and protect the entrance to this earth. Uh, she's going to be the queen of our kingdom. Uh, and he offers her a dagger to commit suicide because if she kills herself, then the Sentinel won't be replaced mm-hmm. and everything will crumble. Um, and he also mentioned earlier, he had made a, a quote like friendships can blossom into bliss. Uh, and oh, yeah. Said, yeah. And he said she'll be well again if she can just, you know, follow through with taking her life. Um, and then all of a sudden the Monsignor and Father Halloran show up and they prevent the suicide from taking place. Um, and we've got the priest brandishing that crucifix and everything. And that kind of fends off all the other people. Um, but, you know, Chazen is still trying to goad her on. Um, but the Monsignor helps her to her feet and she accepts, you know, the crucifix. And then Chazen flings that dagger right into Michael's <laughs> neck. I thought that was great. I was like, well, if he wasn't dead, he sure as hell is now. Right, right. And then everyone else starts to shriek and recoil backwards and everything. And, mm-hmm. uh, Monsignor escorts the blind priest out of the room. And then the next day, we see a wrecking ball is demolishing the apartment. Yeah, creating, uh, making way for uh, progress. Yes, and we hear the voiceover with Miss Logan, um, and uh, says uh, that um, you'll you'll like the apartment. It's by the river, and um, it, she's basically showing it to a new couple, um, a married couple, or I don't know if they're married. I'm assuming they're married. Um, I shouldn't do that. Um, and she's talked about the neighbors. There's already Mr. Jenkins. And um, in 5A, there's a recluse. It's a nun. And um, she's blind and everything. And uh, it's uh, Sister Teresa. And we pan in to see that it's uh, she's blind now and she's wearing the habit. And that's and a very old. So, I'm, yeah, I was wondering how many years had passed uh, during that time that the building was wrecked and reformed. Um, that, you know, it looked like she had aged maybe 20 to 30 years. But Miss Logan looked the same. Yeah. So I think something happened to her, um, Allison. Like oh, she aged okay. somehow. Do you know what I mean? Because Miss Logan looked just the same. Right. And like, how long did it take for that building to be torn down? It, it leaves me with all these questions that don't really, you know, that don't really have anything to do with the movie, but I still think about it anyway. Well, no, it still does have. I disagree with you. I think they're very valid questions. Because, yeah, I mean, how long would it take to put up? a building mm-hmm. to you know, to tear it down, put it up. Um, what I kept thinking was where did she stay? <laughs> right. Yeah. Cause uh, they can't have her living there while she's, you know, while the building's being torn down um, unless it's like a, a supernatural place that exists in between reality <laughs> and like, uh, you know, in between places. Well, and does it change with these, with each Sentinel? Like, so did, Halloran get a new building at the time? Yeah, maybe. Like, that's another question. Like, uh, how long did they vanish for after they supposedly died? When did Mm -hmm. they make their, well, they didn't make their return because that person was essentially dead and like the, the father or the sister are the one that takes its place. Yeah, it's all very interesting to me. I find it very, very interesting. Now that does not bother me either. Like I'm, I'm okay with ambiguity. Yeah, no, I just, I, tend to think about these things and like try to figure them out. And I'm always speculating. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's a fun thing to do. Yeah. I I find very interesting. 
So Rob, like, what did you think of it this go round? I liked it. I, I mean, it was a lot of fun. It was very interesting. Like it, it was a slow burn kind of thing, but it definitely kept you engaged while everything was happening because there's little parts that they kind of, you know, they sprinkle these little things throughout and uh, seeds, seeds to grow. And you're kind of like, oh, so that makes sense. I wonder what this means. And then, you know, you're kind of trying to unravel this mystery that while it's happening. I totally agree with you. I totally agree with you. Watching this as like a 10 year old there was so much that like you don't even like process or oh, clue yeah. in on or pick up on, but like watching it again, you're like, wow, this is kind of like cleverly uh, interwoven all this, the story going on because you're like, you know, is she being gaslit? You know, is mm-hmm. Michael in on something? It's all very interesting. I think. Yeah. Um, now, would you recommend it to listeners of the podcast? I would. It's um, it's more, more psychological horror and like very cerebral but the effects in it are smartly done and well-placed. And so it does have that where it's not just like a psychological thriller. It's also supernatural horror. You've got ghosts, you've got dead people. And I'm assuming that that guy with the parakeet is probably like the devil or a devil, maybe. Right. The the ringleader of everything. Mm-hmm. Yes. Cause I don't remember. Did I don't remember them having a picture of him. Did they? I'm trying to remember that. It, like when they were going over all the murderers? I don't, I think it was everybody in attendance except for him. Cause I, I didn't. I think so too. I think. Yeah. I don't remember them bringing up like his name or his photograph. Cause I remember they said there were eight murderers at the party. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm trying to think because there was the married couple. So that's two. The twins makes four. Uh, the same sex, five, six, seven. Uh, oh, he would. I think he would have been eight. You think so? Yes, because the the one lady that was a murderess was by herself. The one that's talking about the cake. Okay. He would have been eight. He would have made number eight. Oh, wow. Huh. Yeah, I, so, yeah. I'll i have to go back because I don't remember it being mentioned. Because t- the, the priests were saying, not the priests, I'm sorry, I keep doing that. The detectives were saying that all eight of the people in attendance were murderers, were deceased murderers. Okay. I have, I have that in my notes. And I'm trying to go back and count everyone. Hmm. I don't know. Very interesting. I, I love stuff like, like I love ghost things and stuff like this. I I just think it's so cool. So creepy. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. Um, I would totally recommend it too. Um, it's a just good recommendation how, for um, like, it really messes with your head. Oh yes. Very much so. Cause it's got like, it, 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 it is like you kind of get the devil stuff you know, demon stuff. You Mm -hmm. get like, maybe is it gaslighting? Uh, I don't know. It's just, you know, it's all very clever the way it's constructed. I think, I think it's a very cool watch. Yeah. I I thank you for doing it. I was wondering if you were going to bulk on it being like a, a creature feature because it doesn't have like monsters, but it has the ghostly aspect of it all. Yeah, no, it's very supernatural. Like, and then, it's like that whole thing with Rosemary's Baby where there's like there are it's mostly human stuff, but there are like supernatural events occurring, you know, and and uh, that psychological, very cerebral kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, and the humans that you think you're dealing with aren't really. Yeah. <laughs> and so though it definitely it definitely fits that bill. I mean, you've got you've got people and then you've got like people and their agendas. And then you've got like supernatural stuff going on too. Yeah. I think it's pretty darn cool. 
it's very creepy watch. To me, this would be perfect, like in the fall and like on a like a rainy, dark night mm-hmm. with all the yeah. lights out. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. Yes. All right. So have have you said everything you want to say? Anything else you want to talk about? Um, oh, for the movie. <clears throat> yeah, I found it interesting that there's two different versions of this. And so I saw the one, the uncut version, because the other version was censored and there were no, um, there was no nudity, no gore, uh, nothing like that. And something about uh, Brotherhood of the Sentinels, it says that the church parts were deleted and replaced by the Brotherhood of the Sentinels. So I don't know what that means, but apparently Weird. Uh, whatever version of the movie that we didn't see is the one where there's no church parts and they're just like talking about the brotherhood of the Sentinels. Interesting. Oh, weird. Huh? Strange. I like this version. I I can't imagine a different one. Yeah. I don't remember what version I saw when I was younger, but it, I don't, I don't even remember there being nudity. So maybe I saw like that version. Huh? I don't know. Mine had to have been edited because it was shown on a local TV station. But, you know, I'm sure they didn't get rid of the pre-stuff. They probably just got rid of the, you know. Well, it says. um, The main gore and the. Yeah, it says. Nudity. The uncut one, they feature the Catholic Church, nudity and gore. The censored for TV one has all the church parts deleted and replaced by the Brotherhood of the Sentinels. Well, weird. Maybe that is the one I saw as a kid. Interesting. (laughs) I'd have to go back and ask a little fat Mark. Ah, unless you saw it on cable TV and then like, no, I no, guess- no, no, no. I saw this on my local TV, not cable oh, because when I was little, okay. we didn't have cable. I didn't get cable. We didn't get, we did not get cable offered to us where we lived until I was like in high school. What was that? Like, uh, cause we didn't have cable till probably maybe 84, 85, something like That's that. That's about when we got it too. Okay. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So, okay, so that is the Sentinel in a nutshell. Um, next time we talk, I hope you've had your rabies shots because we're going to be covering Cujo from 1983. <laughs> the killer dog. Mm-hmm. I'll be wearing my cone of shame. <laughs> I'll probably have to put one on too. <laughs> <laughs> um, and as always, uh, if you'd like to get a hold of uh, the show, I will be at Instagram uh, at Midnight Mass Creature Cast. And I welcome anything that you uh, have to say to me. I, as long as it's kind, just don't be mean to me. Right. Um, don't be me. Uh, don't be me. Um, but yeah, if you want to reach out that way, uh, please do so. Um, and then Rob, you have anything you want to add? Yeah, you can. Um, we are part of the suplex city limits network, which uh, includes this show, my other show, the old guy metal cast, as well as a couple of uh, pro wrestling adjacent kind of podcast where they talk about pro wrestling and they talk about like a bunch of other stuff too. Um, so it's f- four shows, no pay, you know, you just go and listen, uh, have yourself a good time. That's at suplexcitylimits.com. So make sure you check that out give it subscribe and listen, rate, review, you know, whatever your heart desires. Have fun. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, shout out to Spitball Media. Oh, yes, that's right. Shout out. Another fun podcast to listen to. So until we meet again, we thank you for joining us because it's always the more the scarier. Mm-hmm. And until next time, may you stay spooky. Wow. <laughs> <laughs>